changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Good evening and welcome to What's the Word here on 101.9 WAIN. I'm Randy Johnson. I'm thankful that you have made time this evening to join me for What's the Word. And as I always give you a bit of a commercial, I have a podcast that is entitled Walk This Way. And similar to remember the to What's the Word, but the title of the podcast is Walk This Way. And I would like for you to find it. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Pocket Cast. There's about nine or ten or so different apps that carry Walk This Way. And on that podcast, you can find messages that I've preached at Columbia Baptist Church here in the heart of Adair County. You will find some different 12 to 15 minute segments of different thoughts throughout the week that I'll post on there just to be an encouragement to you and and hopefully give you some kind of a midweek shot in the arm, I guess. And you'll also find the one hour episode that you're listening to right now. Every Thursday morning, I take the one hour show and I upload it onto my podcast so that in case you miss it, you hear some of it, have to get out of the car, go shopping, or just missed it for whatever reason. Uh, or if there's something in it that you want to hear again or share with somebody. I put it on the, the podcast, and you can find it there, and you can listen to it again, share it. So I, I hope that you will find it. One of the easiest ways to find it is to go to the website that hosts the podcast, which is anchor.fm backslash walkthisway. You type that into your web browser, and you will be taken straight to all of the different episodes on the podcast. And so I just want to encourage you to find your way to that one way or the other. However you enjoy listening to podcasts, I'd love for you to subscribe to that and share it with your friends. This is, of course, the week that in the Christian community we call the Passion Week. And it is the week between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. Of course, we understand through what the Bible describes in the life of Jesus, his last week on this earth, when on Palm Sunday he comes into the city of Jerusalem on the Palm Sunday road. He's up on top of the mountain looking down into the Kidron Valley, which then leads up the Temple Mount area back into where the old Jerusalem is, where the city walls would have been and the temple inside the city walls. And he went down that road in preparation to come up into the city for this last week of life, this last week of ministry before his arrest and betrayal and trial and all of these different events that happened in the last week of his life leading up to his death on Good Friday and then his glorious resurrection on that Sunday. Well, this week being that it is Passion Week, this Wednesday evening, I'd like to do a special show for you tonight. And, you know, if you have listened at all to any of the 
episodes of What's the Word, you know that I typically try to pull in different events that have happened around the world or certainly in our community and give you a sense of what does the Bible say about these things. Well, the longer that I have been in ministry and the more people that I've talked to and the more messages that I've preached and the more times that I've examined Scripture, I keep coming back to, particularly every uh, Easter season, I always come back to two very fundamental questions that everybody has dealt with, is dealing with, or needs more information on just to be able to have intelligent conversations with friends and family that want to know what is this faith in Jesus and this relationship with Jesus really all about. And this is a perfect week for us to have those kinds of conversations. And so this show tonight is going to be a little different. Uh, Instead of taking stories and different life events, I'm going to answer two very basic questions, and I will do my very best in the one hour that I have with you to cover those topics as best that I can and as efficiently as I can. The two questions that I want to deal with on the show tonight is the first one is, did Jesus actually die? Some people disagree and think that Jesus just kind of lost enough blood to go unconscious, and they put him in the tomb, and he really didn't rise from the dead. He walked out three days later. I want to talk about that and give you some evidence and some facts about the fact that Jesus Christ really did, God's one and only Son, really did die. And then, of course, that leads to the second question that I want to cover tonight, and that is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? How do we know that Jesus bodily form, walked out of the tomb, that he actually rose from the dead, that his crucified body was glorified by God and walked out of the tomb, how do we know that Jesus really came back to life? Now, these two questions are the fundamental core of everything that has to do with the Bible. The event of the crucifixion of Jesus is what all of the Old Testament leads up to, and from that point forward what all of the New Testament reflects back on. The sacrifice of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and then of course his resurrection is what gives us hope for our resurrected bodies overcoming sin and death and having eternal life. Because let's just face it, if our Savior, who claimed to be the Son of God, died and was still in some kind of a tomb or his bones were somewhere on this planet, then how could we say that we could have eternal life if our Savior was not able to obtain that himself? And so these two questions are the fundamental core of what every believer on the planet has to understand and be able to articulate uh, because there are so many skeptics in the world. There are so many people that believe that religion is a crux. They believe that Jesus was a fake. They believe that while he may have lived and may have been a good teacher and said some nice things and, and all of that, uh, Jesus was certainly not God's son. And they skeptics say all kinds of things about the validity of the Bible. They say, all sorts of things about the fact that faith in Jesus is not necessary for eternal life. There are so many different 
arguments against Christianity. Uh, obviously, in a one-hour show, I don't have time to get into all of those things, but I will do my best, and I want to encourage you, as I always do, if you have thoughts, questions, comments, if you're confused about something or want more information on something, please email me. My email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. Well, the first question that I said I want to dive into this evening is the question of, did Jesus actually die? There are a couple of facts that have been stated. Now, I say facts because I have to, first of all, back up and, and say that so many people turn to the Bible to prove that the Bible is true, and skeptics will say, well, that's not fair. Uh, you can't go to a book to show that the book is true and use the book as the defense of itself. And yet, stylistically, because of the way that the Bible was written, you have to understand that in the first century, there was an oral tradition of things being passed down, things being shared with one another, with one another truth being shared orally, and people refining the facts of what they heard, what they saw, what they know to be true, and there's a sense in which, as it's shared verbally, people want to make sure that they're telling the truth, that they're getting to the heart of the issue. Now, before I dive into the Bible, one of the things that I want to share with you is, in answering the question, did Jesus actually die, uh, there are plenty of evidences of the validity of the Bible, because I wouldn't want to use the Bible if I didn't believe that the Bible was true, or if I felt as though the Bible is somehow misleading or incomplete. You know, there are two great examples of information of, well, how accurate is the Bible? If you're going to tell me if you're going to prove to me that Jesus died by using something in the Bible, then tell me, first of all, how can I trust the Bible? Well, as I mentioned, the oral tradition in the first century, people would pass around these stories, these concepts, these ideas, what they heard, what they saw, and they would make sure that they were telling the truth. And so when the first gospel was written in uh, the 50 uh, AD time period, 50, 55 AD, some people would say, well, listen, that you're talking 20 plus years after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. How can we trust 20 years that has passed that it's going to be historically accurate, that they didn't get something wrong. Well, let's do a little comparison. You think, first of all, of Alexander the Great. Lots of people have used Alexander the Great because they claim to know a lot about him. He's an historical figure, had great armies, they conquered much of the Mesopotamia Mesopotamia and then on into India area. You know, they just they conquered his armies were amazing. He lived to be, ironically, 33 years old when he died, and his time period was about 300 and something, 330, 350 BC. So well before the time of Christ, here you have Alexander the Great conquering all of these. Well, what do we know about Alexander the Great? How do we know the stories that have come out that are accurate? You know, Alexander the Great, the best source that is considered to be historically accurate about Alexander the Great came out 300 years after Alexander the Great's life. 
Now, that's not because people weren't writing things down, and, and it's not because there was no uh, book or volume or, you know, it's not as though that concept did not exist. But the very best source that we have for somebody that did as much as Alexander the Great did and consider it historically accurate came out 300 years after Alexander the Great's death. Well, here's a contemporary example of the time of Jesus, Tiberius Caesar, by the way. Tiberius Caesar died just a few years after Jesus did, was on the throne and, uh, and was in power during the time of Jesus, as I said, died just a few years afterwards. The very best source that we have for the life and all of the accomplishments of Tiberius Caesar is anywhere between 80 to 150 years after his death. And yet that is also considered historically accurate, and we're talking about a non, really a non-religious historical figure. So to say that the Gospels are 20 years past the time of Jesus, because of the historical tradition, you can't argue that the Gospels are incorrect. You cannot argue that historically speaking and stylistically that they're incorrect. So you can go to the Bible and trust it because, again, those that were alive during this time were making sure that the words that were being written down were, in fact, historically accurate. So you think for just a moment, well, how do I know that Jesus died? Well, in the Gospel of John, chapter 19, when John is indicating that Jesus had died on the cross. And of course, Matthew and Mark and Luke, they all describe the death of Jesus. But John gives us a detail that he that is unique to the Gospel of John, but very, very helpful. He says, and by the way, John was the closest disciple to the death of Jesus because Jesus looks down upon John and his mother Mary, uh, Jesus's mother Mary, and says, you know, son, behold your mother, mother, behold your son, and basically handing uh, Mary off to the beloved disciple John to say, take care of her and and take her into your home. Make sure that she is is taken care of. But John gives this this historically important event, this historically important detail of a Roman centurion thrusting a spear in the side of Jesus and water and blood being poured out of the side of Jesus. Now, how do we know that that proves that Jesus actually died? Well, there were really two ways that someone died as a result of being crucified. The first one was just shock. It was uh, what they call hypovolemic shock, rapid heartbeat, cause fluid to gather around the heart, and uh, it's called, medically, it's called a pericardial effusion. Uh, the second way that someone died as a, as a result of being crucified was asphyxiation. This happened because they nailed the feet to the cross, and the person would, for a period of time, be able to lift themselves up a little bit to be able to breathe. But after a while, because of just the wear and tear on the body and just the lack of strength and, and not being able to lift yourself up, the person wouldn't be able to breathe, and therefore they would asphyxiate. And that would cause a lack of oxygen, and it would cause water 
to develop around, fluid to develop around, around the heart. And so either of these two kinds of methods, either either of these two manners in which someone would die being crucified, John's account of someone sticking a spear in the side of the ribs of Jesus and making sure that the person was actually dead, of course, you have to stop and think for just a moment. If a Roman centurion thrust a spear into your side and you're not actually dead, you're probably going to jump, you're going to wince, you're going to pull away. That's not That didn't happen with the body of Jesus. And so that is the first clue that we have that Jesus was actually dead. But when they thrust the spear into the side of Jesus, water and blood flowed out, as John reports in his gospel in chapter 19, meaning that this sack around the heart was busted as well as the heart itself. And literally, Jesus' heart burst and water and blood flowed out of his side. That's the, the first detail that we have to know that he actually did die and that his heart had stopped beating, that this fluid had, had spilled out and had come out as well. Another way that we accurately know that Jesus did actually die and not only the physical part, but also you have to think of the Roman soldiers. Not only are the Roman soldiers watching Jesus, but in every single gospel, there is some interaction with the dead body of Jesus or looking upon Jesus where a Roman soldier says, surely this was an innocent man, surely this was the Son of God. A Roman soldier having a testimony of speaking of Jesus in the past tense. You know, here is a Roman soldier who would have had to make sure that Jesus was actually dead. He could not just assume, he could not just say uh, back to Pilate, hey, I think Jesus died. No, Pilate was under serious pressure from the Jewish people to crucify Jesus. And so this Roman soldier had to speak back to him and say, no, I know for a fact that this man is dead because if the Roman soldier lied, then he would most likely be killed. And so that's why he thrust the spear in the side. But moving forward in the story, not only do they interact with Jesus while he's on the cross and make sure that he's dead, but the Bible says in Matthew chapter 27 that they even put a guard at the tomb. In fact, one of the chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered around Pilate and they said, Sir, do you remember how they called Jesus an imposter, said that after three days he would rise? They said to Pilate, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud, they said, would be worse than the first. And Pilate said in in Matthew chapter 27, verse 65, Pilate says, you have a guard of soldiers. He said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it as secure as you can. And so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Here you have Pilate ordering a guard to stand out in front of the tomb for it to be sealed, knowing without any hesitation that this tomb is secure and that his dead body was behind that stone. You see, a lot of skeptics will say, well, I will give it to you that Jesus lived, 
but I I don't believe that the quote-unquote risen Savior was actually coming back from the dead because I don't believe he really died. I think he lived a life after he came out of the tomb and he recovered while he was in there. He walked out of the tomb and made people think that he had been resurrected. Friend, I'm telling you, the Bible says that the the cornerstone of of the cross of Jesus Christ is that Jesus did not just fake his own death. He didn't just take a beating, but Jesus actually stopped breathing. His heart burst. Water and blood flowed out of his side. The Roman soldiers made sure that before taking him down, they didn't have to break his knees to force asphyxiation. You see, a lot of times they would break the kneecaps, they would break the knees of the person hanging on the cross to force them to not lift themselves up so that they can continue breathing, but he would break their kneecaps so that they couldn't do that and would die faster. But they came to Jesus and they found that he was already dead. These are Roman soldiers saying this. These aren't just religious people that have something to prove of seeing Jesus dead or alive. This is a Roman soldier saying this. And so Pilate himself, understanding that Jesus is actually dead, and these that were scribes and Pharisees hanging around making sure they knew Jesus was dead. And they wanted to make sure that his dead body stayed in that tomb so that the disciples couldn't steal his body and just claim miraculously that he was no longer in the tomb. So this is just a a piece of some pieces of evidence that I wanted to give to you of how do we know that Jesus actually died. In fact, in Mark chapter 15, verses 44 and 45, uh, it says that Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus had already died, and summoning summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And he says that when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Again, these gospels saying to us a dialogue between a Roman official and a Roman soldier, not spirit, not not any of the disciples, nobody that had any, as you might say, skin in the game, nobody who really wanted to make sure that Jesus was alive or that his testimony was preserved. None of that. You have people just stating facts that Jesus Christ, God's son, was dead. And that is just a, a again, just a thimble full of information and for um, of, of evidence that Jesus Christ actually died. Now, the second question that I want to bring to you is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Now, before I go into this, I want to pause again and say that if you're listening to this radio show and you are catching just part of this and you're interested and you want to keep listening, I want to tell you my email address is Randy at columbiabaptist.com. If you have any questions, have any thoughts, insights, confused about anything, need more material, I can send you anything that you need to help bolster what what I'm sharing with you because, again, I'm just skimming the surface on these two very major topics in the Christian faith. And this next one that I'm about to get into is even more... um, hotly debated than whether or not Jesus actually died. The discussion 
of whether or not Jesus walked out of the tomb three days later is amazing. Now, there are three historical truths that even skeptics, people that do not believe the Bible is authoritative in terms of religious belief, miracles, supernatural, God interacting with people, the skeptics don't believe any of those things. But there are three truths that 99% of scholars from the most liberal, atheist, agnostic scholars all the way to conservative evangelicals. And I'm not making up this number. I am telling you this number because it is a fact. 99% of scholars accept, first of all, what I just shared with you, and that is that Jesus died by crucifixion. He died on the cross. 99% of scholars all across the spectrum believe that and know that it is an historical fact that that actually happened. The second thing that they agree on, believe it or not, is that they believe that there were appearances of the risen Jesus to the disciples, and I'll get into this in just a moment, of the group afterwards that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 was up to 500 people at one time. Most likely he was just counting men. 500 men at one time could have been well over 1,000 with women and children there as well. But 500 people seeing Jesus alive along with Peter, James, John, and the rest of the 12. And that's one of the historical agreements that people have made because these appearances, because these testimonies of these people and what they have accurately confirmed, and again, there is so much evidence of this and I don't have time to get into all of it, but a lot of it comes from Paul's speaking with Peter and James and John, particularly in Peter and James in Galatians chapter 2. And uh, Galatians chapter one, Galatians chapter two, Paul says that he goes back to Jerusalem, and and has these discussions with Peter and James, and 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 really just confirms that what he is sharing in the gospel and what he saw when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus was accurate. And again, because the book of Galatians has been proven to be historically accurate, even by agnostics and atheists, they will confirm that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. They are essentially saying that what Paul saw and what Peter and James and John testify to is all the same. And so historically, you cannot argue with that. And again, 99% of, of scholars all across the, the realm and the range of liberal versus conservative will say that they agree historically that there were appearances of the risen Jesus to people and to groups. The third thing that they agree on, before I really dive into how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead, is that they agree in the conversion of the Apostle Paul by the appearance of Jesus. Again, going back to the testimony of Paul twice in the book of Acts, in the book of Galatians, elsewhere in different letters that he wrote where he discussed his conversion, here you have 
liberal theologians, and you even have agnostic and atheist people saying that they agree that historically that the Apostle Paul had a conversion experience uh, on the road to Damascus, and these three, the death by crucifixion, the appearances of the risen Jesus, and the conversion of Paul are historical bedrock truths that even liberal theologians agree with. Now, why do I share all of that? I say all of that to you simply because of this reason right here. There are biblical evidences, but there are also historical evidences that cannot be refuted of how do we know that Jesus actually rose from the dead. There is a professor at Liberty University named Gary Habermas, and Gary Habermas has written, I mean, this has been his life work, is the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're not familiar with Gary and uh, Dr. Habermas, then you need to look him up on the internet. His He has a website called GaryHabermas.com. Everything on there is free. You can download all sorts of resources, uh, sermons, articles, lots of um, books that he's written. You can You can read all about those. But when you think of, did Jesus rise from the dead? One of the greatest arguments for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to share with you what 1 Corinthians 15 says and why that is so important. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that he is delivering to you, to the church at that time, what was of first importance and what he received. And so first of all, let's understand this message that he's about to give to people in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First of all, Paul, if we said that the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus happened in 31, 30 or 31 AD, then with Paul being converted just two years or so after that happens, then you're talking about 34 A.D., 35 A.D. We'll just say 35 because that's that's a good uh, it's a good number. So we'll say 35 A.D. for the time of Paul's conversion. Well, 1 Corinthians was written around 55 A.D., so you're talking about 20 years past the time that Paul very first received this message, not only from his conversion on the road to Damascus, but after Paul had come to know Christ on the road to Damascus, Galatians chapter 1 and 2 says that he, after a period of three years, so it would have been around 38 AD, Paul went to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James. And after that meeting, Paul went back, began his ministry, and then he says in chapter 2 that he went back to Jerusalem 14 years later, and he says, importantly in that text, that they added nothing to my gospel, meaning that what he had received on the road to Damascus and what he preached 14, 15, 20 years later was consistent with what Peter and James had been preaching in the church in Jerusalem from day one. So this is the message that Paul is giving to the church at Corinth of what goes all the way back to not only his 
Damascus Road appearance, not only the three years that he spent studying the scripture after he got converted, not only the 14 years after he went back to Jerusalem, but all of that time that he's preaching this, what he's about to share in 1 Corinthians 15, goes all the way back to Peter and James and the resurrection. So what Paul is saying is, at the exact moment of the resurrection, because he says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. And this is what he says, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, one one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So this is what Paul is saying is of most importance that he heard first, that he is now saying 20 years 22 years, 23 years after the resurrection, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day. He appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve, he appeared to 500 people at one time, and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. This is the testimony of Paul that goes back to the very hours after the resurrection of Jesus on that very first resurrection morning. What Paul is saying to the church is an undeniable, historically accurate moment. It is not a myth. It is not merely just some belief. It is not just merely a mythical story. This man is reporting 20-plus years later something that has been said since the moments after Jesus walked out of the tomb. And so we have this verified historically. Now, again, I told you that 99% of scholars accept the fact that Jesus died by crucifixion, which Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, according to the scriptures, they also agree that the resurrected Christ appeared to people after he came out of the tomb. As Paul says here, that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. He appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Again, he may just be talking about men. It could have been well over a thousand people that he appeared to at the same time. He says, most of whom are still alive. Now, you think in 55 A.D., We're talking 23, 24 years that have passed, even if someone was in their 40s. You're talking about someone who may be getting close to age 70 or right at age 70 who was an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ after he died on the cross. 500, he says most of these people are still alive. Friend, this is one of the most irrefutable facts and proof that because textually, because historically, and because of all of these eyewitnesses, we are, it is placed in our face 
of whether or not we're going to agree with what the eyewitnesses say happened, that Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb and they saw him alive after his death on the cross. And so 1 Corinthians 15, that the entire chapter, and Paul goes on to say some remarkable things in chapter 15, and basically to say, if Jesus is not alive, if he didn't walk out of the tomb, then everything we do as a church has no point. But he goes back to this early creed, and by the way, it is also historically proven that verses 3 through 5 is an early creed of the church that An atheist, an atheist and agnostic named Bart Ehrman says that these verses that Paul just wrote is a first early church creed that was written within six months of the resurrection of Jesus. And so when Paul is recording this in 55 AD in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's saying something that the church has been saying for 25 years, since the moment that Jesus was resurrected, within six months of the resurrection of Jesus, there is an atheist and agnostic scholar. Again, as I mentioned earlier, his name is Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman says that these verses that Paul just recorded are six months from the resurrection. Bart Ehrman, by the way, is a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in the Department of Religious Studies, and he's an agnostic. He's an atheist. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about him in just a moment, but he claimed to be a Christian early on and then turned from the faith, and I want to share a little bit about that in, in just a little bit. But he has written 30 books some of them are, are titled, How Jesus Became God, Misquoting Jesus, God's Problem, Jesus Interrupted, and Forged. Forged, by the way, is a book that Ehrman wrote because he believes that many of the books in the New Testament were not written by the people that we say that they're written by. However, because Bart Ehrman is a what we call a textual criticism specialist, He believes without any shadow of a doubt that the Apostle Paul wrote many of the letters that are attributed to him. Now, there are some he disagrees with, but he has done some serious uh, critical looking at the letters of the Apostle Paul, and 1 Corinthians, obviously, for him, is one of those that he agrees that Paul wrote. And so, again, when you have somebody who is an atheist agreeing that what Paul just said goes back to just a mere whisper after the resurrection, you cannot deny that what this these verses say go back to a time when people were constantly speaking and talking and refining the details of what they saw, what they heard. And so when Paul says the 500 of these brothers saw Jesus at the same time, you're talking about not just a handful of people that can come up with a convincing story and lie about it. You're talking about over 500 brothers at the same time, and they all saw Jesus in the same way in the same moment. Now, interestingly about that, there have been people and very recently still say that part of the issue with this 500 or even the apostles is they'll say, well, it was an hallucination. Now, you might think that is a ridiculous assertion, but there are lots of people that believe 
that this this sighting that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15 was nothing more than a hallucination. Well, unfortunately for them, hallucinations medically don't happen in groups. They happen individually. And there's no way for a group to hallucinate the exact same thing at the exact same time and in the exact same manner. And so for Paul to say that many of these 500 brothers are still alive, what he's essentially saying is go up to them like a news reporter and ask them, what did you see? And you just go down the line of all of the one. let's just say 400 of them were still alive in 55 AD when Paul wrote this letter. So a hundred of them have died, but you still have 400 eyewitnesses. Take a microphone, take a camera, go up to those 400 and ask them, what did you see? What did you hear? What did it look like? And, and what, what was that? Who was that? And what he's essentially saying is, we're not just talking about me. We're not just talking about the disciples. We're not just talking about my on the road to Emmaus experience. We're talking about a massive group of people that will tell you they saw the same person say the same things, they heard the exact same thing, and they saw him alive. And again, I said it before, I'm going to say it again for one last time, 99% of scholars all over the range of as liberal, agnostic, atheist as they get, all the way to conservative, evangelical, will say that they believe that what Paul just wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 is historically accurate. They do not disagree with that. How do we know that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Well, we know his body wasn't stolen, and we know that because of what I shared with you earlier about the fact that the tomb was sealed. You know, when you have Pilate and you have Roman guards making sure that the tomb is secure so that his body is not stolen. And by the way, you remember, remember the scribes and the Pharisees said, well, have it guarded through the third day. Well, what would have happened on day four, day five, day six? Well, the scribes and Pharisees knew that Jesus said that on the third day his, that he would rise from the dead. Well, the gospels say that it was very early that morning. So it wasn't like the... Roman guard walked away for a while or took a lunch break or decided to go home for the day. No, in fact, the Bible says in the book of, in the book of Luke that they were still there, that they, they fell down like dead men. So the Gospels give credence and give evidence to the fact that the Roman soldiers were still there, and they fell down like dead men. So they literally saw what what was going on and they they understood what was happening when the angel appeared the bright light the tomb was rolled away and Jesus walking out so again you have all of this evidence coming from not just gospel writers not just from disciples we're talking about the eyewitness testimony of these events of the resurrection of Jesus even coming from the roman soldiers and from the very mouth of pilate himself well, how else do we know that Jesus was really resurrected? Well, you have to understand, too, that a lot of the early testimony was from women. Women are quoted in the Gospels as having seen the risen Savior first. Well, in first century historical writing, and really whether you're talking about a court of law, you're talking about a disagreement between people, uh, unfortunately for our, my female listeners, 
they'd had no voice in first century and they had no right to say anything and anything that they said was discounted you could put 500 females in the room and they could all say the same thing and their testimony would not be received which again is most likely why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says 500 brothers he's strengthening the argument by saying that there were 500 men that saw him there were most likely lots of females and and children even that saw him but let's just talk about what would qualify in the court of law 500 men well you go back to the gospel accounts and what they share is that the first to have seen Jesus alive were women and it was their testimony that was believed. It was the what they said was the reason that Peter and John took off and ran to the tomb. And so why would Jesus appear to women? Why would women have any kind of a testimony of the resurrection of Jesus? Well, that's just what makes it even stronger, is the fact that the women who were not even believed and not even given any any weight at all to what they said what they said was true and so again it just again just proves even more and even strong more strongly how the resurrection of jesus was historically accurate you have to and i can't get into all of this i don't have time to talk about how all of the apostles died but you have the apostles dying for their faith and trust in Christ. Now, some would say, well, listen, people have been dying for causes that they believe in all of their life. But, uh, but again, you have to understand that we're talking about their personal belief of what they individually understood, believed in, placed their faith and trust in. Now, you have had religious nuts for centuries dying for what they believed. Well, the apostles did too, and they believed very strongly in the testimony that they shared, and they died in very similar ways to Jesus. Some of them died being beheaded, and some of them died knowing that it was through their blood that the gospel was going to continue to be spread, because if they were willing to die for what they believed in, they certainly knew that it was not a lie. You know, one of the other, speaking of those and how they died and, and the fact of, of having people share their faith and their testimony, take James. You know, I mentioned that in the book of Galatians, Paul goes back to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James. And he discusses the gospel with them three years after he's converted, so most likely about five years or so after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul shows up in Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James. Now, James was not the brother of John, the beloved disciple, the sons of thunder, James and John. This is James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And the Bible tells us a little bit about the family that Jesus had, his earthly family. But one of the most telling chapters in the Bible about Jesus' earthly family is Mark chapter 3. In fact, it says that Jesus went back after he had called all of the disciples and by name, names them all in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. 
And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. All of Jesus' family, and it mentions the half-brothers of Jesus and other gospels, here is the family of Jesus embarrassed by what he's doing, and we're only in Mark chapter 3. We're at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Can you imagine the frustration? Can you imagine all that they said, the more that Jesus talked, the more that Jesus healed, the more that Jesus did these miracles and, and walked around all of Israel and around you know the Galilee area? What an absolute embarrassment they must have felt. Well, guess what? James, the half-brother of Jesus, was one of those. But James was converted and came to know Jesus, not just as his half-brother, but as his Lord and Savior. Again, you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, John or Peter, excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul specifically says that not only did Jesus appear to Cephas, which was Peter's uh, other name, but he says in verse 7, then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So here, Jesus appears to his half-brother, and his half-brother, by the way, James, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is the one that Paul goes back to all these years later, and he goes up to talk to Peter and to James. And this meeting, this time of discussion, in, in Galatians chapter 1, uh, Paul says, that he, after three years, he went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, remained with him 15 days. He said, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. This man was responsible for pastoring and shepherding the church in Jerusalem. And his conversion of being one just like Paul, who was antagonistic and against the ministry of Jesus, has now come full circle and is now one of the leading believers and leading elders and leading pastors in Jerusalem where his half-brother was crucified and resurrected. All of these bits of evidence, how do we know that Jesus was resurrected? We see that Jesus was resurrected because we see the evidence by looking at the empty tomb itself and the guard that was there. We hear the testimony of the women. We see the conversion of James and then eventually the conversion of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. We have female eyewitnesses being believed. We have the death of the apostles who are giving their life for not some story, but for their faith and what they saw and what they heard. And we even in 1 Corinthians 15 have atheist agnostic scholars agreeing that what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 as the essential core of the gospel is historically accurate. So we know that historically that Jesus actually died. And now we can prove historically that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And in fact, even Jewish scholars that are not believers in Jesus Christ as Messiah will say that there is no such thing as a resurrection unless it's a bodily resurrection. You know, some would argue again, just like they would say, well, it was all an hallucination and all these 500 people at one time, they just hallucinated together. 
medically that's impossible. But even Jewish teachers and theologians who do not confess Christ as the Messiah believe that any resurrection cannot be just a spiritual resurrection. It is a bodily resurrection. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to describe our resurrection as believers in Christ will also be a bodily resurrection. And when Jesus calls us to be at home in heaven with him, that there is coming a moment when the dead in Christ will rise and they will be reunited with their bodies and their bodies will be changed and will be glorified just like Jesus' body. So again, these teachings and these beliefs bring us back to what is the core of the gospel? What is the core of faith and trust in Jesus? And it is exactly what Paul said. I'm going to read it to you again, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. This is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, he was buried, and he was raised. And friend, these are, this I am just literally scratching the surface of the overwhelming evidence that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was raised. I'm What I'm attempting to do in this one-hour radio show is to get you researching, to get you thinking, and to encourage you to find additional evidence of everything that I'm sharing with you that I know will be a blessing to you if you will just dig in and find it. Here's the interesting thing. The interesting thing is that there are some, again, as I mentioned, there are some all over the spectrum that are scholars that believe historically that Jesus was raised from the dead. Bart Ehrman, who I mentioned just a moment ago, his last name is spelled E-H-R-M-A-N. Bart Ehrman is an agnostic, and he is a a former, he claims to be a former Christian, but has turned agnostic, and he believes historically that the disciples saw the risen Jesus. E.P. Sanders is a retired professor from Duke University, and E.P. Sanders also believes that it is an historical fact that the disciples saw Jesus, the risen Jesus, uh, just moments after, and in the days after, his resurrection. Let me just say a a little short commercial before I I go on. I do want to encourage you to give me some feedback on this radio show. This is different from what I typically do, but considering that we are in the midst of this week of celebrating the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, I thought that this was a a very appropriate topic for for me to dive into. And again, I I said at the top of the hour, I'm going to say it again, I'm literally just scratching the surface. There's so much more to what I'm sharing with you that have been debated for centuries that I'm trying to squeeze into and give you little tidbits on in this one-hour show. 
But if you have some feedback, if you have some questions, if you want to know where I got this information and how and where and, and, and whom you can research, my email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. And again, you can find this one-hour radio show on my blog tomorrow morning. It will be posted there. The blog is called Walk This Way. And you can find that at anchor.fm backslash walk this way, or you can just search for walk this way on Google, Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Cast, and there's about nine or 10 different places that host my podcast. And so I just want to encourage you to find that so that you can listen to this again and maybe share it with someone who is skeptical about Jesus. And and they're just kind of searching, you know, how do I know that Jesus walked out of the tomb? How do I know that this is actually what I should believe in? You know, sadly, I'm, I'm going to end the show by telling you the testimony of two men who I know have said at one point that they believe wholeheartedly in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but have turned from it and for similar reasons. The reality of the resurrection is that we have hope after this life is over. And the reality of the cross of Jesus is that our sins are forgiven and we have been spared the wrath of God that our sins deserve. The problem is in the in-between time, the, the right-now time. So let's just say you're a believer in Christ, and you've turned and trusted in Jesus, and you have been born again, and you have hope that when your life on this earth is over, that you'll have eternal life. Well, what about the here and now? What about the right now? The reality is we all struggle with issues. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with temptation. We all struggle with sickness and disease at different times and in different ways. But there are two men who at one point gave their life for a defense of the gospel and then later turned and lived the rest of their life and are living the rest of their life to argue against it. The first one I've already mentioned to you, his name is Bart Ehrman. You can go to YouTube and you can look up books and articles and things written by Bart. He's a leading skeptic. Bart was a believer in Jesus and considers himself a former evangelical, just like Charles Templeton. Now, Charles Templeton, he was a Presbyterian evangelist back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, but turned from the faith in the exact same reason, for the exact same reason that Bart Ehrman did. Charles Templeton was a traveling evangelist, was a contemporary of Billy Graham. And in fact, Billy Graham spoke to Templeton because they journeyed together for a little while. But Billy Graham even tried to convince Templeton not to give up on his faith, but to continue asking questions and seeking after God. But Charles Templeton and Bart Ehrman, men who lived, you know, 75 years apart from each other, Templeton has uh, passed away uh, some time ago. But now Bart Ehrman is basically the, the same as Charles Templeton because he is also writing books against belief in Jesus as the Messiah and belief uh, against the belief that Jesus is God's own son. Because both of these men said, because there is pain and suffering in the world, I cannot believe in a God who is loving, a God who can do miracles when 
God allows children to die, when God allows pain and suffering, when God allows sickness and famine and all of that, why can't God just show up and do something? And for that reason, both of these men turned away from the faith. I found that interesting, but I also find it sad. Friend, God has already shown up, and he has already done what was necessary to deliver you from the worst disaster of your life. Does that mean that God's going to expand your bank account and give you a bigger car and a nicer house and perfect health? No. But will God deliver you from your sin and give you a personal relationship with the Father through His Holy Spirit and give you a home in heaven when you die? Absolutely yes. That's why Jesus died, and that's why Jesus was raised again. And so I wanted to share that with you, and I thank you so much for joining me this evening, and I pray that you are blessed and have a great rest of the week looking forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, celebrating all that Christ has done for us. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast and all sorts of uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.